Shopamaniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about friend and web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert with Miss Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey, man, doing pretty good. What's, doing pretty uh, good. What's life like here? We're we're cruising into. I guess this is like August something. So yeah, it's uh getting getting kind of wild. I'm trying to wrap up. Uh, me, I'm trying to wrap up like a. a Big initiative here on Luro. Try to get this all kind of ready for users to get into to it and all that. Yeah, because so. you have a waiting list, right? So, like, you, you is there gotta be ready to start inviting? Yeah, yeah. Like the strategy there, not to get too behind the scenes. You don't want to put that up too early, and then all of a sudden you're not like, uh, you know, like <laughs> you're not like. Uh, getting people inside they have to wait around for a year i have like an app i i signed up for like two years ago and they're still like in the waiting list i'm like y'all ever, yeah what's i have going a little on? policy so. with email where if you send me an email about your product and i don't immediately know what it is that i just hit unsubscribe on the thing because i'm like obviously i don't use it that much because if i have to like query my brain for details about what your thing does or whatever i definitely don't care and it's it's not like mean. It's not like oh bad. I'm just like oh no. This that's one of the ways that I curate my email, and mm-hmm. it's a fairly telling thing. If I have to like dredge up what your thing even does, it's like well whatever. Yeah, it's like I'm not sure. Yeah, I you know I signed up for this uh, Austin business email because my friend was like hyped on it, and um, you yeah. know, and he was like you know it's a really great way to get an idea of like what's happening in Austin, investments coming in, and you know companies moving and all that stuff and and it is cool it's great but it's like three or four emails a week <laughs> and i'm just like you know Whoa, what? it's I popping might, i might not do this anymore but yeah it's uh you know i don't know it's some there's different ones it's like there's like a let's just talk email and then there's like a here's actual news email you know so kind of different different brands of email it's interesting there. that it's that so. local is the tie that binds there you know because a lot of us and a lot of people in tech the the geographic nature of what you're doing is almost irrelevant i could t- totally see that yeah i mean and it mostly is for us like you know um how we're operating but you know i think you you know in a big enough well, city to feel connected to a scene is that it or in in a big enough city i think it impacts hiring and location you know like you know if you're fully remote it totally doesn't but like you know in a city like austin you know if we wanted to hire or something like it it helps to have good friends you know and i don't know support somebody i can walk up to and be like hey here's my laptop what's going wrong with my website you know or like Talking to yeah. friends about it and stuff like that. That so. requires physicalness. Yeah. 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 And just, you know, good people. It really just requires good people. But one way to have good people, like you're, you're saying, I think, was it before the show? Just like you have your little Ben JS email or sorry, Ben JS group, you know, and you kind of yeah. go and hang out and co work and do stuff. And um, I was, you know, we have that kind of in Austin. So. Yeah, we did that today. It was kind of neat. And it was fun to have a, you know, some face-to-face thing. And and there's something, isn't there something, what do they call that? I feel embarrassed that I can't remember it now, where you, like, feel more comfortable or safe or something working, even if you ne- don't say a word. You're just together and you're doing it. You can even do it virtually. There's some term for it. I can't remember. Oh. Uh, um, it's not just co-working. It? It's like... like 
co-body something or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like co-sleeping <laughs> with babies. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if it makes people, it just makes people feel good somehow. I think there's more to it and I'm misrepresenting it, but, but it, there's certainly a desire to do it, whether you know exactly why you like it or not. Certainly people show up to these things sometimes. And there was a little bit of chatter and then some mm-hmm. silence of just like, we're yeah. all just typing on keyboards, but we all know we have kind of similar jobs. You know, you look over and see somebody's VS code, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, so working from a coffee shop, can you do it? Can, can, can I you, do it? Oh, I, yeah. I cry. I'm amazing at it. I prefer to do it. From yeah. a coffee shop? You prefer to work from a coffee shop? Well, uh. it, it comes and goes in waves. Pre-pandemic, I just loved it. There was something that I just loved about going to work for a little while, and then I've been like, oh, you know, I got to stand up, do my sun salutations or whatever, and then <laughs> and then, and then, then hit it, change the scenery, bring the laptop mm-hmm. over somewhere. And it just felt fun. Maybe it's this town. I'm, I'm in downtown Bend, and there's t- 10 choices, you know? Oh, so yeah, it's not yeah, just yeah. like the same thing exactly you know like do you want to feel like going to the the one with the cute little you know the bench that you can sit on that's a ski lift or do i want the cute little one with the river view or the one with lots of plants or do i like the one with the best coffee or do i like the one that's really a yarn store too or do i want to do the you know and i'm i've already logged into the wi-fi at all of them so i sit down but you know what it was it was it was like it was like thick css tricks time when i when i had context shifting that was like, okay, I'm working on some code stuff, but I needed to write a blog post today. So if I right. could sit down and write a blog post, and I feel like I like almost needed less screen real estate to do that. Right. Focused. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but these days, gosh, I'm doing so much like, oh, that Go and API work and stuff where I need like the terminal open or multiple of them maybe. And like a graphical thing, because I'm doing API stuff that, gra- that I need to like be testing GraphQL queries and the code base, and maybe another code base that I'm referencing, and maybe a browser window. It's like when you're at your most productive, you got like five, six things open. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel like blogging, you needed like one or two. Right. You need like the either the preview or the reference and the editor. Right. Like yeah. yeah. So it's, it depends on the, the work you're doing. Where are you going? Where you, was it I sensing that you hate, don't like doing it? Well, I just, you know, I, I actually found myself in a lot of coffee shops this week. Like I had car problems. I think I mentioned that on the other, the other week. It was like flat tire. Oh no. Like I, I thought I, I saw a little staple in my tire and I thought, you know, for sure that's in the tread, pulled it. Just fully deflated, wicked, awesome, cool. Now I'm at, um, I I was at like discount tire on a Saturday, which is the worst. Everyone knows that. Like, Mm. and I'm like, here it is. You, I went up there on Friday and they're like, we'll order your tire. They didn't, but then it came in late that night. And then, um, I, I went and I said, okay, can you replace the tire now? And they're like, yes, it will be two hours. And I, you know, for like a four minute job, but whatever, two hours. So I go to the Starbucks across the street and I wrote some blog posts. I like edited it up, spruced them up, you know? And then the next, like two days later, I had to go take the truck in for an oil change, go there. They're like, it's going to be two hours to get the oil change. 
So I go and I walk over to the Starbucks nearby and I sit down and I just write some blog posts. It was actually super effective. And I felt like I finally was like ahead on my blog, you know? So nice. like, so do you that's have, cool, is that your, do you bring your main machine? I bring my main machine and, and I feel like that's like, that was great, you know? And, and I think there is something about the coffee shop that it's like very limiting in what I can do there. You know, it's just like, yeah, I can only look at this and type, you know? And, um, so maybe right. that was like a secret to the power focus. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm also, I think we were talking about before the show, I'm sensing my RSI is like picked up a bit. And I think that's from using the keyboard, the pinch in the wrist, you know? Yeah, it um, might be. And it's surprising so, to me that, you know, I get why keyboards are the way they are on a laptop. That's fine. But to have a company that makes computers like Apple does and make external keyboards and totally shun the idea that people need ergonomic keyboards. Yeah. It yeah, feels like screw you. Yeah, it's a, it's a, well it's a weird like you've mastered the experience of the hardware and the design, the look, but then like the people who are using your stuff all day are like, "Ow, my wrists hurt. Ah, oh, my thumbs. Oh my." Yeah. Uh, you Don't know? get me started on so. the mice. I would never Never. Oh no, that's big problems. Well, and I'm using the trackpad and it's kind of big and dumb, you know? So, um, yeah, dude, dude. So that's a great question. Do you rock the trackpad even at your desk? Or I like, do. You know? So I have a trackpad and then I built this tent out of Legos that oh! like, like it's like a kickstand out of Legos that kicks it up to where it's a little bit more of a natural, like, I don't know, 15 so degree no mouse wrist at incline. All. Or is there a mouse no, too? No mouse at all. I have a gaming mouse that I could use in theory, but yeah, I, I really don't like how Max like scroll, do mouse scroll, you know, and I know yeah. somebody's going to be like, well, you can install a tool, but I don't, that's not what I want to do. I want a mouse to work on my $3,000 laptop. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> so. I, I, I don't know how this happened to me, but at, at home, which was a desk I didn't use all that much, somehow it got set up at one point where all it had was the trackpad. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I worked, I just would use the trackpad and I noticed myself, I noticed myself not noticing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. I was like, wow, that really just doesn't bother me. Like I could rock trackpad all the time. So I tried doing it at work and then I was like, but if I do it all the, all the time, that's also a little RSI trigger for me, but yeah, I liked yeah, yeah. having it. Because it can do some stuff that the mouse can't do. So if I ever flip over to Figma in a tab or, or whatever, I have to trackpad. So I have to yeah. be able to scroll around with the and zoom and pan and all that stuff with the trackpad. It, it, I cannot deal with it with the mouse. So yeah, now I'm yeah. in this situation where I generally prefer the mouse. And I upgraded, by the way, to the LX Master Mouse 3S instead so okay, of just okay. the 3. The, the, it has one additional feature. It's just not loud. The three was just like <laughs> for silent. Is for silent. Okay. I yeah, because I, I was like, oh, you know, this is starting to bug me because I feel like if if you know, I'm just 
it feels weird to say out loud because I'm like, maybe people I work with listen, but like sometimes during meetings, I'm clicking around a little bit, you know, like it's hey, just going to hey, happen. Hey, <laughs> a little ADHD. God gave me this chemistry. You can't really uh, deny it. Yeah, no, I'm clicking around. Yeah. And I feel like uh, very honestly, probably what I'm doing is looking at PRs and stuff. It's not even that I'm like on YouTube or something. It's just that I like, I'm just like, oh, I don't, there's not enough hours in the day. So I'd like to almost be multitasking here. Anyway, I feel like people notice if you have a loud mouse and you're in a meeting with somebody. And first of all, they're not staring right into the camera. You can tell they're looking at their screen and they're and they click 10,000 times with a loud mouse. You're like, it's just not a good look. It's a, I'm not, I don't know. Maybe I should just increase my behavior. But instead, I bought a quieter mouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because so, I started to Google. I'm like, how, can you make the – because I freaking love the MX Master. It's just such a good mouse. I was like, is there a way to make it quiet? And, of course, all, there's all these YouTube videos. They're like, yeah, totally. Just take the entire thing apart. Do some light soldering. You know, I'm like, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Loop I look up the 3S and they're like, new yeah. quiet click. And I'm like, hell yeah. Bye. Yeah, bye, and bye, bye. beautiful. So now I have both. I set them right next to each other. I got the freaking the the pad Loud boy and, and oh, the, the trackpad and the mouse. Yeah, and the mouse. Yeah, right next to probably, each other. I, I had the Logitech vertical and I really liked it, but um, I just you know it just it was so bad for mousing. But I think if I do more designing, like I don't know, I kind of have the opposite problem like selecting layers in figma is not my favorite thing to do i don't think it works good at just in general but um it's like i always feel kind of dumb about how it works so anyway uh, well we got some questions people wrote hey, in with we might sweet. as well get to those looks like mr niles here is um uh let's see if i can if i can cut down to what he's kind of saying here at towards the bottom of what he wrote there's a lot of context which is it's easier to to see than to read but he's like when do you know it's time to leave a working but shaky system behind and start from scratch meaning so here's the context from what what he was tasked to do is that he has this basically a, a client website that the only thing that he was able to influence on it was the css and, you know, with the job of improving how it looks. And he sends us these kind of before and after looks. And one of them looks very like, I don't know, it looks almost like somebody took material design and did a bad job implementing it, essentially. Sure, yeah, And yeah. then another one is like cleaned it up quite a bit. But you can kind of tell that the they didn't have, like he said, he can't even add a class to the HTML, essentially. And so the question is, like, do you keep going down that path or at what point do you have to just, like, literally wipe your hands and be like, we can do no more here until we have access to do more of a deeper rewrite? Um, yeah, good question. Um, oh, well, first of all, I just want to say, like, he's done a really good job. Like, it's hard to convey this before and after, but it's basically just, like, good and bad would be the like bad was the before <laughs> or just like rough like out of the box you know something you installed off of npm like angular table or something and then he's made yeah. it into this like cool card looking thing um and it's just really refreshing got some different color palettes and stuff like that i think that's awesome um i think you know um so you're only able to do CSS, right? 
Is that that's, that's what, sort it, of that's what it sounds like? Doesn't part of you be like, "Wow, that sounds a little a little fun," because <laughs> you get to flex yeah. your muscles in a way. But also that I think I would just say no right out of the gate and say like, "You're only giving me this one tool. Like, what's with the hamstringing, y'all?" Like, I don't know that I'm comfortable working in situations where you don't, like, trust me to have more control over the system. And if you're saying you can't change that, it's going to stay the way. It, it means that if I, I write my CSS, somebody else could change the HTML, totally breaking my work. There's no connection anymore between the HTML and CSS. And I'm like, no. Like, I don't know if I ever do design or I don't have control over both of those things. And it just feels like you could get hamstrung. Like they could they could come along and screw up your work and then they'll say, What's wrong with your work, bro? And they'll be like, You only gave us half the power. You broke it. Yeah. So it looks like it's like an e-learning system and so through a third party or like through a vendor. So they buy this e-learning system and then they like uh are able to that, the only thing the e-learning system offers is adding some flexibility. Man, I would. Um, this is tough. I think you need to maybe work with the vendor. Um, as wild as this sounds, like threatening to leave sud- suddenly unlocks a bunch of features. <laughs> or, <laughs> um, we've seen. I've seen that before. Uh, company was using a proprietary CMS, and they're like, "We're going to switch." And they're like, oh, by the way, we have a new CMS that does, (laughs) you know, and like they footed the bill to upgrade them because they still wanted the money, you know. Um, I don't know what the situation is here. If if you're only paying them $10 a month, then maybe it doesn't work like that, you know. Um, Yeah. I mean, switching entire, it's, they call them an LMS in this case, must be a learning learning management system. Yeah. I mean, also just because you, I don't know. Like the decision to change LMSs probably has a lot. The CSS selectors is like a tiny pebble in the ocean of deciding whether you're going to switch an entire thing like that. Like, right? Don't listen well, to me and be like, nah. What, I'm what mad. I would maybe try the the second step. I would maybe try to figure out. Um, I mean, you're doing an incredible job with like CSS, so. I mean, maybe you can upstream that to them and be like, here's what I have and like write a manifesto. I've done this a lot, (laughs) a lot in my work is write a manifesto. Be like, here's the shortcomings. Like we, you know, I can't, we, we ideally we could, you know, change the look of the player. Ideally we could customize the look of the whatever episode lists, you know, stuff like that. I think like that would be like a, uh, a big, you know, they want to hear from their customers. Anyone who's writing software wants to hear from their customers. So if you can just provide them a bulleted list of actionable items, I think that's going to go super far in their organization. So a bulleted list of actionable items. Do that. But uh, the third thing I think you could do is maybe see if there's an API of some kind to this learning system. And maybe some of those views you can own, you know, like the whatever latest courses look or something like that. Maybe there's pieces of it that you can own um, that might, you know, through some URL hacking or something, or maybe they have a way for you to whatever, have a big empty 
block that you can style or something like that, or, you know, there's, there's maybe, or if you can put a script tag on the page, you can actually do whatever you want. So maybe you need like, we need a script tag on the page to do our custom tracking and surprise you're hacking the website. (laughs) So maybe that's something else too. Um, There's a few ways uh, around it, but you know, in general, I, I think replatforming is pretty risky. It sounds like you replatformed from a Google spreadsheet before. Um, so I would I would be hesitant to replatform unless you knew the costs and the benefits and did some prototyping around what would be a next better system. So uh, definitely do that. Good luck. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by DQ, the makers of Axe. Feel like we've talked about Axe lots of times on Chop Talk Show. It's kind of a industry standard accessibility testing tool that's super powerful. Like, do you know how accessible your website is right this minute? Can people with disabilities access it? If you aren't sure, you can get started in minutes with the free Axe DevTools browser extension. So that's right. It's it's installable in Chrome, Edge, and Firefox. And you're already developers. You already use DevTools. It's a part of DevTools. It's like a new tab in there. So you tab over to it. Hit the scan all my page button and within milliseconds you'll get a list of accessibility uh, issues with details and guidance how, how to go about fixing them so think of the all the the, the low-hanging fruit fruit is so easy and represents a bulk of accessibility issues on websites in general so that's really powerful Anybody can do this, by the way. You don't have to be a developer. It's so easy to use. And it'll be like, there's color contrast problems here. There's some form problems here. There's all kinds of stuff it can go through. And I would point out, even though they didn't put it in these notes directly, that the they have these walkthrough things, too, that are part of Pro that are really cool for sussing out more complex accessibility issues that are uh, need a little bit uh, more of a walkthrough to find. And that's almost my favorite part of Axe. I think it's cool. So let Axe Tools do the heavy lifting for you and try it for free today. That's dq.com slash shop talk to get started. That's D-E-Q-U-E dot com slash shop talk. Nicholas Schemas. Schemas. Ski mass writes in about the uh, the the misleading outline algorithm in the HTML spec. Did you see this going around the other day? Yeah, they um, they yanked it from the spec, and it was it was both controversial and not controversial in a way. And that it was removed from the spec, which felt weird. But then it turns out the reason was kind of that literally no browser ever implemented it so it's kind of like yeah just a it was almost like a white flag kind of throwing in the towel on on that I mean, it had to do with basically the header elements and stuff right like the way that it was specced was like oh when you start a new section element you kind of start over with h1 h2 h3 or something and that made some kind of more logical sense but that never really lived up to be anything browsers ever implemented so Bye bye. Not going to be a thing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's gone. So the the whole idea, like it doesn't matter what headings you use, is not true now. It it ha- like you have to have a document outline. You kind of did in general, but now it's like you, you definitely, definitely do. do. You can't point <laughs> yeah. at the spec and say, "But the spec says," you know. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't know, man. This is great, I guess, like that it's clear. I love removing nuance from ARIA accessibility land. Like, let's get rid of nuance. I love that. But in a component-driven world, that's a lot. It's a lot of work to be like, okay, um, when this component is in in here, it's actually an H four, you know. So I wish we had like generic heading elements that managed all this. But that's gonna be on my tombstone, probably. So <laughs> <laughs> right, so. right. Now you you do gotta get you gotta get thinky about it, and it's tricky because it's hard enough. Even on like a, a, you know, let's call it a simple, even though overused word, but like blog kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the H1? What's the H2? What's the H3? Do you have to be like cognizant of the entire page while you're thinking about the headers you use in the content? Well, yes, you do. And it's a little unfortunate, right? That you have to be like, oh, what's the sidebar doing? I guess I, guess I better not step on toes inside the content of my blog post because of something else totally somewhere else on the page. But it's kind of always been the case that you've had to, and now you really have to. So suck it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now it's just, it's hard. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it's hard in practice. It's not super hard. It's just hard in practice. Um, <laughs> sure. You know, cause, cause I don't know if I'm, like writing a component, I'm not like immediately like, oh, this will always be an H3. I have zero, uh, zero, I guess, like uh, guarantees that that will be true. So, and there's some tricks you can do with hitting headings and, you know, like stuff like that. So maybe that just needs to be blogged about and, you know, when to use this and when not to, you know, so like your cards could be H3 or something. Maybe they don't even need to be. They're just links. But like that's the H2, H3 conundrum is the hardest one because you can always be like there's going to be one H1 on the whole page because that's going to say that's almost an SEO concern because, you know, right. So unfortunately, that has to factor in, too. So then what's the H2? And it's never the site title or anything like that, except for maybe on the home page might be the site title. But for the most part, any sub page is going to have a some kind of H one that's a that's the title of whatever's happening on that page. And even page, I realize, is a little when it comes to web apps, for lack of a better word, a little like what's in what's a page. Then what? Let's say you have a weather widget, right? And, the, and it says weather. Is that an H2 or is it an H3? Because I could see it being an H2 if it's like, I don't know, like pretty high up content there. And I could see it being an H3 because it's tucked in a sidebar or something. But what if it says Omaha really big and 47 degrees even bigger? Like what, what, which one, you know, like the vertical rules fall out the window. You know what I mean? Like like the, the sizing rules go away. What it well, yeah, I don't know. There's yeah. so many, like, here's the real it, truth we've been winging it, and we're gonna just keep winging it. <laughs> <laughs> I will get by. Yes, I've thought, been thinking. So, there's a really good tool, uh, Microsoft Accessibility Insights is a good tool, um, but uh, a good extension for this. It and it, um, I, I mentioned it just because it. Uh, it'll tell you your heading levels um, pretty mm-hmm. pretty good. So um, I found it to be pretty awesome from that perspective. Like, okay, I can like at least like get the 
like headings kind of sorted out and without embarrassing myself. So, um, so that's a plus. Maybe. Here's a funny one is that on CSS tricks, the head, I think I like, I'm like in the very early days of the site, I did make CSS tricks, the H one on, in some contexts. And then I was like, well, okay, well then the title of posts is always in H2. And then, so in the content of posts, I only, the highest level heading I would use is H3. And I've been known to use an H4 too, and an H5 very rarely, but sometimes. And good, because mm-hmm. that's as much as you got anyway. Or is there an H6? I guess there's H6 too. I don't think I ever used that. But that meant though, isn't that weird that there was <laughs> very rarely H2s used? Like it would go, because eventually I learned, oh, for SEO reasons, on a post called, you know, like, I'll just go to your site. Uh, Before I go, what I know about putting on a rock show, when you go to that page, that's got to be the H1. Otherwise, you're really screwing yourself as a, uh, from SEO SEO. perspective. So on CSS Tricks, though, that would be the H1. And then in the content of the article, the first header level would be an H3 just for, like, historical reasons. And I just rolled with it for, instead of, like, kind of fixing the underlying issues, I just did that for, you know, 15 years. But the problem is, what if you're on a, what if you're on an archive page? Then the archive says, post from August. That's the H1, and the H2 is the title of the post then. So it makes sense then that the subs are H3. So it works on that page. It just doesn't work then. And the, it's almost like you need to, they need to be like dynamically generated depending on the context they're in. Blech. Yeah. No, it's, um, that stuff's hard, man. They don't, they don't, um, I don't know. Like it's, it's back to your generic header, generic heading element, please, please, please. And then, and that's the tool rather than H1, H2, H3, just H is our, is our generic algorithm. And like, if you nested it in sections and articles, it'll try to, and you mess that up. Great. You messed it up. Like Mm. you look stupid. (laughs) So, so that's the, like, I would just love that to be like, I know this is a heading and, but where, what level it'll be, it can actually change. Like that's, that's what I'm trying to express with the H. That's exactly what I'm trying to express too. That's a great idea. And if you want to nest them, just use a parent element of some kind. Right. Right. And so, yeah, it's just like, okay, well, cool. This one's in an article inside a section. So therefore make it like that. Although I'm not sure you can do that, but anyway. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure there's caveats all day long. But just like, Hey, I'm using very generic terms. I'll let you generate an outline. And then wouldn't it be cool if we had tooling here, here we go in dev tools that just showed you what that outline showed up as, you know, and then you're just like, Oh, okay. That does look bad. That is incorrect. You know, we have tooling, I guess, but you know, it's kind of just here and there. So there's a thing right in at least Chrome dev tools that'll show you the document outline. Won't it? Oh man, really? I I would love to know. (laughs) I know there's the accessibility like tab there, but, and it gives you like what everything reads as, but I didn't know if it give you a, a, access, a heading outline, but maybe there's something Yeah, maybe it there. doesn't do heading out. Oh gosh. Now I'm talking out of my butt. Shows you how often I use it, huh? But it, it will show you the accessibility tree, which is kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. It gives you like, here's sort of what, what the 
AT yeah, is going to get. Yeah, but it's not as clear get, as just headings only. Like your headings are in full there. Page accessibility tree. Well, we just enabled full page accessibility tree. Let's see what's going on. But you can't filter after you do that. You can't filter it to just headings. I don't think. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. But that is actually pretty cool that you can see that. That that's actually a cool feature. There's at least in my dev tools a little accessibility man <laughs> shows up and you can click accessibility man and you just get the alley tree view. So that's actually cool. I'm going to actually uh, test this out. I'm sorry. Why not? Alley, accessibility yeah. man, go. <laughs> go. Accessibility man, go. Really? The, but you can always, you know, kick the ax tab too. And that's probably the more correct thing to do because it will actually have actionable advice and such. True, true, true. So. Uh, Adam Beck is, you know, a few episodes back, we talked about um, checking in your node modules, essentially, which like 1% or less of people do, right? It seems a little, mm-hmm. it seems a little insanity, especially because the joke around node modules is always like, I'm on a plane and I did node modules and the airplane crashed, essentially, you know, is it's so <laughs> bandwidth intensive and it's amazing how much, how many files there are and, you know, you'll hear somebody run some terminal command to remove all the node modules on your computer and have their computer come back to life. You know, there's like basically node modules is a beast of a folder. And uh, that's just the way it is in our industry for now. So, so there's that. And, but so checking in them is silly, right? Because then every Git commit that changes it might be sending up 16,000 files. And everybody that pulls your commit pulls down 16,000 files. Little much, you know? It was designed almost not to do that. I feel like industry advice is don't do that. It doesn't need to do that. That's why there's a package lock, you know, or, you know, the person that pulls it can do their own install and that's much more efficient and the correct way to do it. And that's why there's lock files is that's what ensures that y'all get the same thing, you know, yeah. which is cool. Package.json alone doesn't absolutely guarantee that everybody has the same thing. And the reason they don't is because there's a special syntax inside of the package.json thing that says, what package are you using? And then like a semver string that describes what you want. So it's not just, imagine it says 5.2.1. If it says that, you're going to get version 5.2.1. But a lot of people don't do that on purpose. They put like little up arrow ticky thing 5.2.1. And that means if it just so happens that 5.2.2 becomes available, it ain't even going to ask you. It's just going to pull 5.2.2. It will even pull 5.3.0 if that's out, but it won't pull version 6. Right, yeah. And some people just like that. They like to just not derp around with little minor updates, knowing that they can just NPM install and get generally the latest stuff from that. Hence why that little uptick is pretty important. But there's also the little tilde thing that behaves a little differently. And there's there's all sorts of different syntax in there. And it gets weird. I don't think anybody has it like super duper memorized. The problem is that that's an honor system. Totally on our system. Right. Well, and it's like putting so much faith in like a library author to obey Semvar, you know, yeah, which maybe they I mean. get shouted down. But like, 
you're you're just like okay let's all hope that wasn't a breaking change you know the the whatever patching regex exploit 9520 for blah 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 like hopefully that's not a big deal in my application you know so well it literally causes problems doesn't it yeah it does it does i i would say like testing's got a little bit better but um I think as testing's got better, like I have a lot more faith in in like other libraries have tested their stuff and they probably aren't going to ship a fully breaking feature like whatever, like capitalized first letter or something like that. That what it is a low dash capitalized probably isn't going to break like if a minor version shows up, you know. So no, it generally doesn't. So it only causes a problem once in a while. And usually it's intentionally nefarious and then gets fixed up because of that intentionality or, or whatever. But it's interesting to me that lock files aren't more a bigger part of this conversation, right? Because if you commit the package.lock or yarn.lock, whatever you use, then that's the trump card. Like that's what gets honored first yeah so like even if there is a minor patch difference you're not going to get it because the lock files locked to the certain thing so that everybody who works on your app gets exactly the same stuff that's pretty huge so like that will save you a little bit yeah lock files though have their problems um like it's more about like resolutions like can i use lodash to Lodash capitalized two and Lodash capitalized three at the same time, sort of, you know, um, or will it, can it resolve it to the same version of Lodash or whatever? It'll try to do that. But um, it, so it's like resolution of modules, but then it, a lot of services, Netlify or whoever will just do an NPM install and kind of ignore the lock file. Um uh, maybe I don't want to speak for Netlify. I don't actually know, but like a lot of services will ignore the lock file because you just kind of can't guarantee because it puts a lot of like architecture information, like bind it for whatever Mac, M1 Mac, you know, and stuff like that. So they kind of have to ignore it and reinstall. So even that mm. lock file isn't like guaranteed to be perfect. Some. Well, that's unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah, my uh, I don't have a full set of understanding of all, all of all of this, but it's one of those like every once in a while there's a problem, people talk about it, and it causes you that you know people like go do a little audit on their package.json files and just see what yeah. what's appropriate to have what syntax and what isn't. And I wonder if we'll converge on not not allowing those variable syntaxes at all in package judging. Just say the freaking version you want and leave it at that and then make it more of a intentional quarterly thing or something to upgrade versions. Yeah, I've kind of had a, a at Luro at least, small company, very small company. Uh, one thing I'm trying to do is before we hire anyone um, new or whatever, we make sure to go through and update all the package.json so that like when somebody shows up for the first day of work, we're on the latest and greatest. And it, there's not like NPM install problems because they pulled some package that's like four years out of date or something like that. So um, it's kind of like a, just kind of set that as like a, a maintenance milestone is like, whenever we hire somebody, we'll just make sure everything's up to date or, you know, something like that. So, uh, 
we'll, we'll see if it works. You can't always, sometimes you hire people cause you got too much work and then updating all your modules is even more work. So, but you know, if you find yourself with down cycles, it's good to at least take part of it, right? Like take a chunk. So, yeah. Oh, good question though. Sorry for the half unsatisfactory answer and listen to Dave, not me. And, uh, and we did have a episode recently all about security, particularly in the JavaScript ecosystem with for 524. So that was pretty interesting stuff. So, yeah, that was eye opening. I mean, I'm just like, even now, like, Oh man, I need to like figure a lot of this stuff out. I've like, looked at like forking repos that have like uh, un you know bad dependency problems that aren't updating and stuff like that i'm just i'm in it man i'm just like I, I, what do you I think, think though like if we boil this back down to the thing is it is there some advantage strong enough that would convince you to check in your node module um or is that too wackadoos Oh, like to check in. Don't NPM, get ignore the them. Put them modules. in there. That way, when somebody pulls your repo, you, they don't even have to npm install. They just got it. You're, you know. I, there's nothing I would do that did that. I mean, like in my situation, like we use like Puppeteer and stuff. So like we'd be checking in whole versions of Chrome. You know, like <laughs> no, so, it seems. So I'm probably not gonna. You know, like I don't think I'd recommend it. It would be. Let me just see in Luro how big my Node modules folder is. This is, should be a fun game that'll oh, crash my computer. Let's um, see. I may might be able to play this. I'm on my booth computer, but I'll try to play too. <laughs> we'll see. It might take 25 minutes to figure to, out. To um, calculate, yeah. Or are you just going to open the Git info window? One point two G's was its first guess, but uh, it's going to keep going up. One point two one gigabytes is where we're at right now, but I think the fans are about to kick on. So, <laughs> yeah. So just on that alone, you know, it's like. But you only have to pull in it once. It won't. It, it will just do diffs from there on out, right? I mean, if I'm yeah. going to argue devil's advocate. That's a one-time pull, right? That's a one-time hit, you know, and then every time it updates. Um, uh, yeah, I guess that's not super bad. I remember the argument was the, um, you know, even your, even your, like, let's say you use Netlify, even that your deployments are faster because it doesn't have to. Doesn't have to install. Do an NPM install. It. Yeah, it's already got the files. Pulls. Maybe. I, I don't know, man. Kind of a cool trick. Can I tell you? My, here's an idea. You have a some kind of computer or repository that pulls this repository, runs NPM install, and then commits all the things. Like, so it's, it's not your working one. It's like this pre-production repository. And then that's the thing that goes out. Maybe that's a weird compromise, you know, like you could probably come up with a machine that forks your repo and then always pulls the latest and then always like, reinstalls mm. node through like some GitHub action commits those files back. And then that's the deploy machine. So, so you always know what got put on the server that may maybe be useful. So I think that's the, the security angle is like a secondary benefit to it. Let's say you put the, your Jerry McGovern hat on though, and we're concerned about the electricity costs one way or the other. Is it, is it actually less to commit your node modules? Because, people aren't pulling them fresh from NPM each time, or is it the same or more? I guess mm. it would be the same, right? It'd 
be about the same, assuming you have to like do clean environments, you know, less HTTP traffic. It's only coming from one domain or one like source. Yeah. Every, only one person pulls the new dependencies and then it's less diffs from then on out. It might less be lookups. more green. So that's a tough <laughs> question. That's a tough one to go down, but, um, but it is, I don't know, maybe something we have to think about. So. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I'm not convinced. I like my Git light, says the guy who like commits his five megabyte JPEGs to repos regularly. Yeah, you know? I, yeah same. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, I minify. I I, I squish yeah, my images still, before. It's, it's still, what do you call it? A, um, binary data, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need a media server of some kind. I need, one day I'll have it, but I'm I'm too lazy. So I want to do the Jim... <laughs> Nielsen Netlify uh, files thing, but I just want a file, a bucket of files on Netlify. That's what I want. Well, here, let's add this. Let's spend five minutes plus just fantasizing about what a full featured app media server would be. And it sounds like number one is that you'd never put any binary data into Git because it's all separately handled by this media service, yeah, right? It's all in the media service. And then like, it's just a, like an S3 bucket basically, but I put a file in there, probably the biggest, highest fidelity I want, or can, you know, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? Like I don't need a 7,000 pixel wide picture of space for my blog. I need it at most. <laughs> You know, 2,400. No, but you should probably upload that one, right, in the media server. If we're dreaming about all possibilities, you might as well give it the biggest one possible, right? Cause you're... Yeah, I think it would be almost like Lorem Pixum, you know, when or, or like go. the like, yeah. Phil Murray, like where I can just say, give me the height and width in the attributes, right? Yeah. Like, or, I mean, Cloudinary is the extreme example because then you can tell it how optimized you want it, not just the size, but what format. And you want URL parameters and or stuff inside the URL to control what it's giving you. Yeah, and I want AVIF by default, AVIF, WebP, and then what a PNG or JPEG that I uploaded because that's something yeah. I don't have right now. So, and okay, then... Okay, so it would do that, okay. Um, SVG, OMG... Um, yeah, do the but, optimizing but to a like acceptable extent. I feel like it always overdoes it, so I'd want SVG OMG. Mm. Um, video is a big one, and I'd probably like Dream Machine does all these like what like VP8 and you know all the new codecs because they they can like yeah. Then it wouldn't just be streaming; it would it would or it wouldn't do just format. It would have that special like HTTP Byte special server that chunking, would deliver yeah. it. Yeah. Chunking stuff. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty good dream. Would it have it? Would you build a whole UI for it? You know, like I could see a UI or I could see like a n- native app or an electron app that just visits the folder. <laughs> like, you know, like, mm. like, Mm-hmm. That, that does that because um, I remember the, the back in the day you could if you if you so pleased I think it was maybe it was a third party app but you could mount a server as a native volume yeah like a transmit that was 
yeah, uh, panic do that? transmit. Yeah, would, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want. Yeah, like an FTP. Yeah, that's a lot like Jim's thing, where you just throw stuff in a folder and it just it eventually syncs up to the to the servers. Here's what. Here's another question, though. This is what I would want mine to do: is that it wouldn't. It yeah, sure. There's a URL format, but I can't just know and use the URL because that doesn't have good cache busting, or it would have to be like etags based. I'd need cache busting in the HTML with that string, and I'd want it to automatically break when I adjust that image if I need to, meaning that I can't just use the URL directly. So what I want from my what I want from my service is like a diction like JSON dictionary of all the assets it has. That way I can import that like at the top of a JavaScript file or whatever I need to, and then and then and then it's which is tree shakeable, you know. I don't I don't want to ship every URL as a constant or whatever. I want to just import just the URL that I need, and that that gets updated. So if I update the picture of my Ninja Warrior JPEG, I'm not I'm not directly using the URL. I'm importing the URL as a string constant from my media server, which knows when to append a cache busting string. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. A little, it's a little elaborate, but if if I can... Uh... Well, yeah. Well, and if it could, that could be, maybe it's, a, maybe that thing, that URL is obviously a proxy to a real file. You know what I mean? So like you wouldn't go like, maybe instead of, or whatever, media.chriscoyer.net yeah. slash images slash file one, it might be just something like get images slash file one or something in, in like, um, in that kind of is maybe there's some intelligence there where you can be like bus cache file one or something through some CLI or something. I don't know. I'm just riffing here. Yeah. But you're just kind of like bust the cache here. Like this has changed. And maybe that's like just reset E tags on all files in this directory, you know, or something yeah. like that. So. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't, I definitely wouldn't want to rely on e-tags all, all the time. I almost yeah. prefer I could call a function or something, but like, give me the file named Ninja Warrior, and it would return the URL that I'm supposed to use. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, sort of like a... Mm-hmm. an API for my images in a way. But I can't be, I don't want to like actually make an API request on the client. The API request would happen either during the builds or... Yeah, during the build, during the, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but maybe not during the build either. That's not perfect because how does a build know to be triggered when my media server uploads an image, you know? Right, a, yeah, WordPress isn't going to be like, oh, he rebuilt. Let's do it again, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, um, and then you're talking, unless you do like a webhooks thing and be like, oh, trigger a rebuild on on the pages that use that particular asset by hitting a webhook or something like that. Yeah. I feel like you're in spider town there or something. It's bad news. I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to just preemptively say, somebody's going to say Thumbboard does this thumb, Thumbboard. Hmm. Uh, and I'm sure it does, but I don't know how to do it and it's not set up for me. <laughs> and so, I'm, I would maybe even pay you to set it up. So. You know, it does make me think about though is how, how you know, stuff like Bun or whatever that people are talking about, putting your JavaScript little lightweight but fast JavaScript. Yeah, Bun is powered times. by Zig. 
Yeah, dude. Duh, of course, Zig. Duh, Bunny powered by Zig. I definitely <laughs> never heard of Zig until Bun <laughs> was out, but now I love Zig. It's amazing. Yeah. Is but so right so but we know how you know because this has been building for years where like companies competed over that weird acronym that like static incremental regeneration or whatever and then there's like two variations of it I can't even remember what they are but there was like a little battle for a minute between like Vercel Netlify and yeah. Gatsby invented their own too but the point was like we will we'll build the pages we don't have to run your whole build to deploy. The first request that comes in, then we'll build it. Or one was stale while revalidate or whatever. Like that in that version of it, it would serve the stale page, but behind the scenes, it'd be building the new page or something. There's something to that. You know, it was in the water for a while. But I think that's kind of cool knowing that you have this. If you think of your SSG, your statics least built site, let's say there's a thousand pages on it, which is probably somewhere in the ballpark of even DaveRupert.com. When you ship a new version of it, maybe it doesn't build all thousand pages, you just let it do that kind of on-demand build. So when you ship a new version, all it does is invalidate the cache. And then the first time somebody visits a blog post or something, it rebuilds just that one page, and then it's cached from then on out. There's a mental model to that that makes sense to me. Whereas your media service then, because we're still dreaming about this, it knows somehow through magic which pages of that site use which pieces of media and then if you upload a new version of an image that the media service uses it knows to just invalidate the cache on just those few pages that would be freaking fancy to me a little too much magic maybe but i like it it's all right i mean that again this is well not again but like this is caching is like one of the hardest problems in computer science. It's like, mm. like, of what is it like naming and caching are the, like the two things. Um, so I don't know that's super easy to solve, but there's something there. I, I feel like there's such a common use case. The common use cases are like, I, I put the wrong logo. Because the answer to having troubles with cache is clearing it more than you should. But the answer to make anything fast is caching more than you think you should. It's like very at odds. At odds, right? Yeah. So how did, what's the perfect, you know, I will say, I don't know. Nellify, no sponsors show. I feel like Nellify does a pretty good job of the balance of like cache and edge and, you know, and, and. All that they do, stuff, and so. you know what they do? Freaking e tags, e tags. So as much as I just talked poop about them, it might be a pretty good solution ultimately. It might be a good solution just for this, you know. Or so, um, I don't know. Hey, well, that's probably a good place to stop, huh? I'll, probably. I'll, all right. Yeah, <laughs> we're we got, recording on a Friday. We're freaking it's tired. Friday. So. It's uh, almost uh, Margaritaville, so we're just you know wrap, <laughs> wrapping up the week here. So. Uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast. Your choice. Be sure to start heart favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for 10 tweets a month. And join us in the Discord, patreon.com slash Shop Talk Show. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? No. Shoptalkshow.com.